Um, before I welcome up our, our guests, I just wanted to, I, there's one quick announcement that I needed to mention. Um, right after the service, we are having a all volunteers of the children's ministry area. We're having a meeting and it's gonna be located right here. We're gonna do it as quickly as we can. If you've been thinking about being, uh, joining the team or you're just interested in knowing more about what the children's ministry is up to, we encourage you to stick around and stay. Staying doesn't mean you've signed up to something. It just means that it gives you the chance to hear a little bit more about what we're doing. So I just wanted to remind you of that. David, could I welcome you up? Um, I just wanted to let our online community know, and thank you so much for joining us, but one of the things that is important for us to mention is that for this moment, uh, when we're having Teen Challenge up, um, you're not going to be able to see them on the screen, but you're going to be able to see their PowerPoints, which will be able to help you move along. David. Thank you. Good morning. I'm just going to open in a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the reminder that even though we don't see it, you're working. Even though we don't feel it, you're working. We thank you that it's not based on us that you keep doing what you do. And uh, in that, we find our peace and our rest, Lord. We pray, Lord, as we share this morning, we pray that your voice is louder than ours. That, Lord, they see you, not us, for your glory. We thank you for the Church of Nazarene and um, being a local mission partner. Pray for the community. Um, and anyone here that knows someone that is dealing with addiction, we pray that, uh, that we're able to go forth and encourage them to maybe even sign up or learn more about Teen Challenge. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Awesome. Uh, good morning. It's great to be here. My name is David Tate. Uh, it's nice to see some familiar faces this morning. And uh, uh, Pastor Trent went to school with our spiritual formation coach, went to university. Or uh, What school was that? NUC, yeah. And uh, what a great guy. And Terry Caldy. And just it's kind of like a family reunion. So we sure appreciate your partnership. Is there anyone here not familiar with Teen Challenge? Show of hands. Awesome. There's always one in the crowd. So that means I got to tell you the, just kidding. Uh, for those who don't know, Teen Challenge, we're a 12-month in-residence, faith-based drug and alcohol rehabilitation center. So we help men and women 18 and over become free from addiction, uh, returning them to society as responsible citizens. There's a lot of good treatment programs out there, but most short-term programs have about a 5 to 10% success rate. Uh, Teen Challenge has well over a 50% success rate for those that graduate, surveyed five years after graduation, are free from addiction, positively contributing to society. We attribute the success rate to two reasons. First and foremost, we're faith-based. If you go to a program and get clean, but don't have Christ, where's the freedom? And the second, we have them for 12 months. Uh, so it's kind of like... Um, peeling back the layers of an onion, if you will. And doesn't mean when they graduate, they've arrived. It just means that's when the journey started, uh, starts and um, they at least can see what healthy can look like. When you send someone a teen challenge, it's like spending 12 months with someone like your pastor and the elders from your church 
for 12 months in lockdown. Uh, <laughs> so um, again, my name is David. Um, I'm a graduate from the program in 2008, and I just seen what God did in my life through this program, and I thought, wow, here's a ministry where men and women can just be at the feet of the cross for 12 months without your phone, without cable, without the things of your past, addiction, all the things the world layers on you. I've had people come to me and say, I wish I could go to team, I don't have a drug problem, I might have a shopping problem. Um, there's a couple ladies shaking their heads there. Um, but uh, it's just a place of refuge. And I'll tell you what, it's a special place. We believe it's one of Alberta's best kept secrets. Uh, we do these outreaches for two reasons. If you or anyone you know is dealing with addiction, we want to be a resource for you. Come see us at the table after. We'd love to give you some information. And second of all, it's one of the ways we support the program. We are not government funded. If we were government funded, we would lose the very change agent, Jesus Christ, that gives us the success rate uh, that we have. And we're not willing to compromise that, are we? Awesome. We're going to take you guys on the road with us. Um, so with that, I'd like to introduce our team, and then I'd like you to hear from the men themselves. Um, so our most senior student would be Brother LaVon. Let's give him a warm welcome. And uh, Brother LaVon is in 10th month. Nine. He keeps reminding me nine. He's just been a senior student from day one, just really uh, getting all God has for him here. And so it's a pleasure to have you in the program. And Brother Mike. Uh, let's give Brother Mike a warm welcome. And uh, Brother Mike is in his sixth month, and I think this is the second time sharing this. Third time, but first time in a church this big. So take it easy on him. Uh, so without further ado, let's give Brother Mike, oh, and my little, my little guy Noah here. He's my assistant here today. Um, but uh, let's give him a little warm welcome here. I said, do you want to go to youth? He's like, no way. Uh, but he likes going to youth at our church. So um, with that, let's give Brother Mike a warm welcome as he shares a bit of his story. Well, good morning again, and, and thank you for coming today and sharing a little bit of your time to uh, listen to my story. So yeah, as Dave mentioned, um, just about halfway, actually, um, and... Uh, my name is Mike, and I'm 47 years old. Uh, I was born and lived the majority of my life in Calgary. Uh, I have a twin brother, an older sister, as well as two younger brothers, stepbrothers, and a stepsister from when my uh, dad later remarried in uh, my late teens. I'm also a pretty proud uncle of seven uh, nieces and nephews. Um, my, er my early childhood was pretty typical. Uh, looking back at those years, it, uh, it seemed like I had everything I really, a really uh, kid would want and need. I had loving, loving parents, loving grandparents. Um, you know, I had a lot of fun memories with my siblings and cousins. Um, you know, I really had a, a solid start to my, to my early childhood. So we moved around quite a bit as a, as a young child throughout Calgary. But it wasn't until I was about 10 when I... My, my life dramatically changed, and I moved to uh, Texas for an opportunity in my dad's profession. Uh, moving there was, and leaving my friends and relatives was, uh, you know, it was pretty tough. Uh, it was quite an overwhelming culture shock, and you know, I joined a, a school halfway through a year, uh, through through a school year, and you know, it was tough to fit in and adapt as the the new kids from Canada. 
But uh, unfortunately, after about four years, just as our family was settling down in, in Texas, uh, uh, we were on the move again, and this time it was to Toronto, uh, where my dad was to continue on, continue on with his profession. Um, again, I found you know myself in a new environment, trying to trying to fit in, and uh, but luckily, you know, it was uh, I always had uh, my twin brother alongside me, so it was uh, it was you know it, it was never felt too alone, and it was really easy to make friends. Um, we were in Toronto again for a short period of time, just really wasn't panning out with my dad's profession, but this time uh, we were on our way back to Calgary. So by the time we, uh, we arrived back in Calgary at age 13, uh, I lived in four different cities, 11 different homes, and seven, attended seven different schools, um, three of them which I joined halfway through a school year. Um, but like I said, I always uh, you know, had my twin brother and my sister, so it, it really, really helped out with uh, making friends. And, I really got immersed into a lot of sports, uh, which, I, which I excelled at, but which also helped me make, make a lot of friends. So I was happy being back in Calgary with uh, family and old friends, but uh, uh, I was settling down. We were settling down and getting, getting stabilized in Calgary. But uh, it's right around the time uh, uh, my parents uh, went through a, quite an ugly divorce. Um, and at that time, I, I remember myself blaming myself a little bit as I was a pretty restless child and typically the class clown. And, um, was in the principal's office uh, a little more than I like to be. Um, uh, following the divorce, my sister and I and, and brother, we kind of bounce around from my, uh, my mom and dad's, but uh, primarily my dad's is my, my mom really struggled coping with the divorce, and she unfortunately became addicted to strong sedatives, which made her pretty absent mentally, you know, physically and emotional in our lives. Um, <clears throat> So we also did spend a lot of time uh, as well with our grandparents. Uh, my dad was really busy uh, working, you know, uh, with his work. And uh, again, I just really dove, dove in and kind of coped with, uh, with all that, just uh, with, you know, getting involved in a lot of sports, hockey, baseball, golf, and, you know, pretty much every school sport there was. Nearing the end of junior high, uh, again, things were stabilizing. Um, and it's uh, just about the time when my, uh, my dad starting my, started seeing my now stepmother. Uh, which, as I mentioned, they later remarried in high school, and she had three kids of her own, as well as I mentioned. Um, so it was, uh, at first it was a little tough trying to kind of get us all under six kids under one roof and, uh, and with different personalities and different ages, but uh, with a little bit of trial and error and some proper timing, we all, we all adjusted and really remain close today. But uh, that's not to say that there, there hasn't been done, damage done to our relationships in the past because of addiction and primarily alcohol, which is which unfortunately is pretty prevalent in our family. So now coming into high school, uh, a lot of things started changing my life and I started making some, you know, some really bad choices and, you know, that would have a negative impact. You know, immediately the appeal and excitement of the in crowd pulled me away from some old friends and into the temptations that come with peer pressure, like trying to fit in. You know, I now found myself interested in girls and weekend parties losing interest in school and school sports and obviously spending a lot, lot less time with my family. It was this, it was this time uh, that I was first introduced to cigarettes, alcohol, and marijuana, and dabbled in pretty much uh, anything kind of recreational that came, came across my path. Um, it started out just uh, a little bit here and there throughout high school, but once I turned 16 and had the freedoms with the car as well as you know, a little bit of spending money from a part-time job, it just uh, kind of enabled a further exposure tool. But I remember the, uh, the crazy thing of it all was that uh, the first time I ever tried um, <clears throat> smoking, smoking a cigarette or, or my first real drunk or, or smoking marijuana, I, got, I, I physically got sick and actually threw up uh, off the first one, but you know, that, uh, that didn't deter me. And, uh, you know, in fact, I, like most alcoholics and addicts, I just really liked the feel and, and effects it gave me. 
So this carried on throughout most of high school, <clears throat> but as I uh, slowly stopped playing uh, competitive hockey and baseball, it just opened up more weekends, um, you know, which my drinking and, and using almost, uh, you know, it escalated to almost every single weekend. And I managed to get through high school, and, and with a little, a little bit of upgrading, I enrolled into college, taking business. Unfortunately, uh, I was now 18 and legal to drink, so consequently, I, I felt like I had arrived. You know, pubs and nightclubs were an every weekend thing, and it's part started to spill out and during the week. I found myself missing classes and not putting in the work and then uh, unfortunately I ended up flunking out my second year and the result of that I, uh, my dad was kind of kind of fed up with the freeloading lifestyle I was living and and made a decision that if you know if I wasn't going to do the school route that I was uh, you know I was, I was <coughs> we were to move out and work full-time pay my pay my own way. So hence my brother and I moved out with a friend and now we had, you know, we had a real taste of freedoms with, with no rules. Uh, I was out of school and working full time and with these new freedoms I, I found uh, myself drinking and getting high almost daily with friends and now I was introduced to cocaine. Um, you know, this, this progression seemed also natural at the time you know, I was never once thinking of how many times I said to myself that, that, I'd, uh, <clears throat> that I'd, you know, <clears throat> that I'd never do that or I'd never try that or I'd never smoke that but you know, yet, yet here I was just crossing that line with ease. I was in complete denial that alcohol and drugs were a problem for me. I uh, just chalked it up um, to being to being young and having fun, you know, thinking to myself that you know I'll, I'll, I'll grow up and be responsible, you know, soon. It's just uh, just a phase I was going through. You know, at that time, I uh, I just kind of compared to myself, uh, you know, seeing people homeless people drinking out of brown paper bags or living TVs and movies, uh, seeing people living in abandoned homes and smoking and shooting up all kinds of drugs and, you know, thinking to myself, you know, I haven't tried that or I haven't done that yet or, you know, I don't live like that yet, but, uh, you know, the, the key word always being there was the yet part of it all. Uh, but however, that, you know, that exact life was unfolding right in front of my eyes. You know, I was getting fired from jobs, uh, getting thrown in drunk tanks, and, and I was getting involved in some illegal activities that just, that fueled that lifestyle. So that irresponsible and carefree lifestyle I was living was inevitably heading in one direction. And in 1996, uh, my life came to a tragic halt when I was involved in a, a fatal car accident in which my brother was driving, uh, myself and four other friends. We, we were all out for a, a friend's birthday, uh, driving from one nightclub to another where <clears throat> well, we were intoxicated and, and high at the time, and we slid out and hit a light standard. Uh, my, my good friend and roommate uh, at the time di died on impact and three others were actually ejected through the back window. I sustained uh, pretty serious injuries, uh, broken ribs, a uh, punctured lung, and some pretty bad lacerations. Uh, others in the car suffered you know, quite serious injuries. They uh, broken pelvises, broken, broken legs, they had some compound fractures, and, and two of them were actually bedridden in the hospital for many months. Obviously, this was a, a very hard time, uh, especially for my brother, who was driving, and he was charged with many accounts, um, including alcohol-related ones. Thankfully, he, he did avoid jail time and, uh, and was given a conditional, conditional sentence and, and, uh, which was to be served out in the community. And one of the ways my brother was able to kind of serve off his sentence was tell, to tell his stories at uh, high school, so, you know, the, the effects of drinking and driving to high school students, many of which I, I you know, I, I went along with my brother in support. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, looking back and during those years, you think that this tragic event would, would you know, what really seriously affected my life and, and forced me to take a really hard look at, you know, where, where alcohol and drug use was, was leading, but it really, it really was only a small time out in the progression of my addiction. So over the next five years, you know, I just kept adding fire to the fuel. There were, there were not too many days I wasn't drinking or, or using some sort of drug. 
um, you know, somehow I managed to keep a job, uh, but I was always in a constant state of financial mess, uh, hardly paying rent, debts piling up, and you know, just many, many numerous times just asking my family for bailouts to keep me, to keep me going. And, um, but uh, ironically enough, I was actually involved in another, another car accident where I was hit by a drunk driver and had to get uh, extricated from the car, but thankfully only suffered minor injuries. Um, but the, the irony of it all was, uh, you know, I was typically the one driving under the influence. Eventually, my problems added up again to a point, you know, where I was facing, uh, you know, another, yet another eviction and really had not too many options available. So I uh, asked to move back in with my dad and stepmom. I tried to get a handle on my life and enrolled back into college. My life seemed to stabilize again for a bit, but, you know, I just slipped back into my old ways and consequently flunked out uh, a second time. Um, and then, you know, at that time, I, I was really at a loss of what to do with my life. I had pressures from family to, you know, to smarten up and, you know, get, get the ball rolling with what I wanted to do in life. So I, I decided to um, uh, enroll myself into a golf management program out in Victoria. Uh, you know, I kind of thought maybe a geographical cure, you know, would, would, would kickstart my life in a positive direction, you know, give you, get me away from, you know, temptations and friends and, and, and places that were, you know, really really leading me down a, a, a bad path here in Calgary. So I did uh, finish that golf program, um, and I found in, uh, employment in the golf industry and worked on the island and in Kamloops, BC. Um, but within a, a few years, I realized, realized that lifestyle um, in that industry was just definitely not healthy for me. I was, I was slipping fast in my old behaviors. And uh, honestly, I just couldn't really uh, find myself working in that career just because it was so seasonal and, uh, yeah, just uh, pretty, pretty prone to... Uh, you know, some trouble in that, in that area. So uh, I, left that golf, I left the golf industry and figured I'd go back and, and finish my uh, business degree that I started back in Calgary all those years ago. So I enrolled into university still on the island of Victoria. And, uh, you know, between working weekends and, uh, and school and just working in the hospitality industry, I, you know, I, just, I managed to keep my drinking using just the weekends. But, uh, you know, I kind of think that only just gave me a false sense that, uh, you know, I didn't really have a problem and that I was able to, you know, control it and kind of turn it on, on and off at, at, at Wills. Um, so <clears throat> after finishing uh, university there, I, I got a job as a, a sales rep for a stone company that was based out of Nanaimo on the island there. Uh, but they wanted to uh, start up expansion in Alberta market and uh, based out of Calgary. So I moved back to Calgary, you know, and I had to set up with a decent income and you know, a company car and really quite a lot of freedoms as I, I was the sole representative here. Um, but being back in Calgary, my troubles quickly returned and I fell back in that lifestyle I left so many years ago. I you know, reunited with old people, places and things. Uh, I quickly was back into drinking almost daily and mixing ever increasing amounts of cocaine into the scene and consequently uh, my sales performance just plummeted and uh, I, I was eventually let go of that job. Um, ironically, I, uh, following that job loss, I just kind of slipped, easily slipped right back into the hospitality industry, working in, in barbs and pubs, uh, or you can imagine where that, where that led to. Um, you know, it just eventually, um, the drinking and the, the cocaine use just, uh, you know, just leaded, ended up leading to where my life was just spiraling out of control. I was going from job from job to job. I was in and out of relationships with women, you know, barely holding on to a place to live. Drinking and driving all the time. I was, uh, was even caught driving with no insurance and registration on a few occasions. Losing a lot of friends. I was, I was basically pushing anyone who uh, pushing anyone that cared away, away from me. Um, I was, you know, it turned out to be I was the typical Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and I hurt a lot of people along the way. Um, eventually, I, I did get to a spot in my life 
where I just was too unmanageable. You know, I was about to lose, you know, everything again, my job, uh, my home, you know, and then my girlfriend at the time. And I was totally out of options, and I had really backed myself up into a corner. So with the support of my family and my girlfriend, I, you know, I reached out and kind of surrendered, and, and I checked into uh, my first treatment center in Nanaimo, BC. Um, following that uh, treatment, which was about three months long, um, you know, I, I came back to Calgary and, you know, I, I was repairing relationships and building my life back up. Uh, but, you know, slowly I had this voice in my head just started creeping in and, you know, just filling it with lies. It was, you know, it was telling me that, you know, I started to get complacent and glorifying the old, the old days where drinking and using was fun. Um, you know, that this time it would be different and I can control it. Uh, these, you know, these lies just kind of blinded out the, uh, the truth, how, the, how, how that road, you know, typically would end. You know, if I played that tape through, you know, what's, what was eventually going to happen. And, of course, Rock Bottom did eventually arrive, um, and this, this led to my, you know, my second treatment center uh, back in Calgary, when I came back here to Calgary. And after completion of that program, you know, I got out of the sales industry because it was just the, the two up and down. Uh, and uh, I thought maybe a ge geographical cure would, would help again, so I moved out to Port McMurray. Um, once there, uh, you know, I started building up my life again. Uh, things were promising. I was working in telecommunications. Uh, I was staying sober. And again, uh, especially being out in Port McMurray with not too many friends and family, I fell victim to uh, boredom and loneliness. And, and you know, just thinking, thinking, I listened to those voices filling, you know, telling me how, you know, drugs and alcohol were, were able to fill that void that was happening in my life. Um, and during that time, progression of my addiction was evident again as my drinking was now spilling into work, um, even while driving company vehicles. And uh, I now was, got heavily involved into smoking crack cocaine. Um, it, was just, it was just one of those uh, lines that I thought I'd never cross. And, you know, it just spiraled out of control uh, once I started doing that and led to another rock bottom. And this time I had to enter into detox. It was pretty rough shape. Um, out at Grand Prairie, and uh, I was kind of forced there for, for work, uh, but in there trying to save my job and really not there for the right reasons. So eventually, you know, I get out and uh, just a, you know, just a complete re repeat of my, uh, what was going on in my life and ended up coming back to Calgary, um, you know, and uh, seeking treatment again and just seeking help. And, uh, so the following, following years uh, after that just were a continual struggle between addiction and recovery. You know, I had a lot of small successes where I found good jobs and built my life back up. Uh, but it always seemed to follow by a really hard relapse and where I could exhaust everything I had, all my resources, and ultimately, you know, I'd end back in treatment. You know, in, instead of overcoming my problems, it just grew worse and the hole got deeper. You know, I tried everything, AA programs and meetings, secular treatment programs, dual diagnostic treatment centers. Worked with many addiction counselors and psychiatrists. I even took uh, drugs or medication, which would cause a person to get violently ill when you take them, um, or when you consumed alcohol uh, or drugs. Uh, but I just simply, simply stopped taking them. You know, I, uh, I made my life very hard for those years. Uh, I felt really defeated and deflated. Um, you know, I, I bounced around from sober living housing, uh, room rentals, motels, campsites, my car, uh, friends' couches. And, you know, finally, at the end, I was living in, in shelters. You know, the fear of homelessness couldn't even stop me. My addiction just, uh, it, uh, my addiction also forced me into bankruptcy. Uh, I ended up getting two uh, driving under the influences along the way. Um, <clears throat> during, during all those years of addiction, I never really concerned myself about the long-term term damage I was doing to my body until a few years ago where I had to watch my cousin of 47 
um, die of liver cancer, or, or liver, sorry, liver failure from alcohol. Um, at the same time, uh, my twin brother was also diagnosed with uh, cirrhosis and was experiencing liver failure and symptoms exactly the same as my cousin that, that we had just buried. Um, but, uh, but thankfully, his, his liver miraculously did uh, kick back in, but, and he recovered, but obviously will have lifelong battles because of it. So, you know, after seeing my cousin die and my twin brother go through that, uh, it was pretty painful to watch. Um, I, you know, I was just remained in complete oblivion and, and, and complete oblivion to the obvious effects that, you know, I was hitting so close to home. Um, my, my family would often say that uh, my cousin uh, kind of took the bullet for us in hopes, hopes that, you know, that we'd realize the alcohol uh, abuse can easily take any, anyone, even at a young age. So today I realized that my addiction totally kept me from, you know, finding any real sense of purpose or identity and it blinded out the good things in life and it turned, turned me into something that it was never meant to be. Uh, it kept me chasing things that I thought would, would give me validation, like multiple different careers, women and material things. Uh, I would constantly find myself saying, you know, when I get this, then I'll be this, or when I have that, then I'll be that, or be this, and, you know, that never worked for me. Uh, many times I was trying to be someone I wasn't. I wanted to be successful, that other people would ad admire me. And, uh, you know, I was, setting false ex I was setting false expectations and not living up to them, you know, which would only, you know, only lead to negative and building negative and condemning ideas about myself. Basically, I was, I was losing hope, for, hope and plans for fulfilling future. You know, instead, I was just going day to day in numbness and reinforcing the lies in my head about my self-worth. So prior to coming to into Teen Challenge, I knew something to, you know, had radically changed as nothing was working in the past, you know, including all those professional uh, help as, as well as treatment center, which, which, which really only helped me become an expert in addiction, but gave me no deliverance from it. Um, but today I'm, you know, finding a sense of freedom by believing that all those years of struggle were part of a God's plan to bring me to this point, you know, that there, there is an evil spiritual force that tries to, you know, engrave these negative and condemning ideas. <clears throat> of myself, which ultimately leads me to temptations, you know, that, that are not only destructive to myself, but so many others around me. Um, I'm learning to take my thoughts captive today and determine the truths that lie in them. Um, I'm learning through God's word that, you know, I have power, power over these lies and how to, how to conquer this selfish lifestyle with, that I was living with no self-control. Really beginning to see the faults and how I judge and measure myself, the world and others start to differentiate what God wants for me instead of what the world wants of me and you know, hold fast to that. And hopefully through all this, you know, I can find my true sense and purpose. You know, in closing, five months ago, it was pretty, pretty hard to grasp how, you know, Teen Challenge was really going to help me, help me change and how I can go through a complete transformation just on faith in God, um, you know, especially at first when I arrived there. Um, but today, I'm, you know, I'm really starting to see how that little bit of faith is mixing with truth. And, and it encourages me to keep moving forward and uh, forward in building that relationship with God. So in, in closing, I've just got a couple of verses there. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. And the other one is Romans 12.2. Don't copy the behaviors of the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you is, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Brother Mike, for the courage to share your story. Um, it's not easy to come up and lay your life out, um, but I think in the in the word it says, if we give up our life and follow Him, we'll find our life. 
And that's what we find at Teen Challenge. People lay, lay their past um, at the altar. You know, the pills, the powder, and the needles are so strong. Uh, the only way to get off them is to get on something more powerful, and that's the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You know, it's local mission partners like First Church of the Nazarene that really walk with us to help make our program possible. Um, one of the ways um, we support our program is through church outreach. Um, so we give folks an opportunity to walk with us and um, to do what's called the journey sponsorship. Are there current sponsors here uh, that currently sponsor Teen Challenge? Awesome, thank you. Um, our prayer is that we're able to get three sponsors at every outreach. That's kind of the, the national average. Um, when you sponsor, it's, um, uh, it's $40 a month. Uh, you get quarterly updates. You get invited to a graduation. Uh, you get center updates, that type of thing. And um, it's really how we go to support our program. When a student comes to Teen Challenge, they pay $1,000 tuition for the whole year. But if you take our operating cost, divide it by our students, it costs about 55000 to put a student through. So the additional 54000 is raised through um, outreaches and events and um, sponsors. So with that, again, we want to thank you for being one of our local mission partners and having us here. Um, let's give Brother LaVon a warm welcome as he shares a bit of his story. Good morning. Thanks for having us here today. Uh, my name's LaVon, I'm 51 years old. I'm not married and I don't have any children. And uh, I am in my ninth month of the program, but Dave, I was thinking about it and actually I start the 10th month of the program in just over a week. So um, I guess I'm close to 10 months. Uh, I grew up in a good home. I had a normal childhood. My parents worked hard to give both my younger sister and I um, opportunities that they didn't have. Um, we participated in things like sports and soccer and swimming lessons. Uh, we took piano lessons. Um, and we had fun traveling and camping together, creating some positive memories. Um, but there was a history of addictions in my extended family and ancestry that we didn't really talk about. So I think that was um, part of the, the challenges that led me to, to where I am today. Often they say that there's major trauma that leads to addiction. Uh, but a number of minor traumas can also have the same effect if they're not processed and allowed to heal. Uh, so although there was no major childhood trauma, um, I would find myself daily focusing on my faults, my shortcomings, um, and I, basically to the point that I grew up hating myself. I was constantly questioning my self-worth, my value. Um, at one point, one of my parents said, well, you have a lot of positive qualities, but I literally couldn't think of one. And although I always had a few friends, I didn't really feel like I fit in with um, kids that were around my age. Um, I did grow up going to church, but it was largely a traditional experience and something uh, within me longed for a deeper connection with God. Um, as a matter of fact, one day I remember winning a prize in Sunday school about hearing from God. Um, or it was a book on hearing from God. And the book turned out to be a collection of um, the author's journal ideas about what she thought God was telling her. But I remember being disappointed because I thought, well, I want to hear from God for myself. I don't want to read someone else's journals. So, um, but I was double-minded, though, and I still wanted to feel like I was fitting in, but I still kind of wanted this deeper connection. Later, after I became a Christian in my teens, I had um, an encounter where I really sensed God's incredible love for me. But I remember pulling away from that because I felt my own unworthiness. And again, I feared what people would think. So... 
after I pulled away, I had this kind of sickening void in my heart where his love once was. So um, like the prodigal son, I started looking for love in other ways. Uh, while I was a student at the University of Alberta in my late teens and early 20s, I developed an addiction to pornography, and then I began to pursue sort of, well, not sort of, began to pursue anonymous uh, sexual encounters. Uh, this began a double life. Um, I still attended church, but I secretly struggled with sexual purity. And um, ironically, my double life had me identifying with the prodigal son's older brother as well, uh, who worked for the father's approval. Um, I even began working in a Christian university and for years was involved in, a, in the organization of a large annual uh, church conference. Eventually, God allowed me uh, to experience major trauma in my life. I believe that he did that because I didn't address the issue of um, sexual purity in my life. Um, so first of all, for me, I began to fall in love with someone who was only interested in a sexual relationship. And then after a lengthy period of time at one of my places of employment, I was harassed by an unstable coworker. Um, some people would ask me why I put up with that, and I just felt that if I responded sort of the way my natural inclination was, that that person would, you know, hurt themselves. So I uh, tried to deal with it delicately and ended up putting them up with uh, more abuse than I normally would have. Uh, but I did report it to management, and, um, you know, I was railroaded and eventually fired, and of course nothing happened to the other person. Um, so the sense of uh, what I thought was betrayal by God and people left me believing that nothing I really did mattered and left me questioning God's love for me. To numb these overwhelming feelings and senses of injustice and heartbreak, uh, I started using crack cocaine and I began using monthly and eventually spent hundreds of dollars on it each month. And although I kept most of that part of my life hidden, there were certainly signs. I, you know, there were money issues. My rent was late a number of months. I used uh, payday loans and eventually had to get payday loans to cover my payday loans. So I eventually uh, filed a consumer proposal under the Bankruptcy Act. Missed a lot of work and um, my addiction also caused me to be downsized from my job at the Christian University. Um, through my years of use and in particular doing things that I knew weren't right, I lost my true identity to my addiction. I felt depressed largely because I wasn't living in integrity and because my, of the lifestyle I was living. Um, continuing to use drugs, though, made me feel better, uh, at least for a short period of time. Um, but my life started to slowly unravel. Um, I did attend a secular treatment center in, uh, I think it was 2008, and I was able to stop using crack cocaine, and I experienced a short period of clean time from drugs. However, uh, when my sister was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015, I started using methamphetamine once a month to help me cope. And eventually that use increased. Um, eventually I was diagnosed with depression and ADD. And it seemed like I was self-medicating with, uh, with the drugs that I was using. Um, methamphetamine seemed to have an opposite effect on me. I would, although it's called speed on the street, I would slow down. Um, and almost, yeah, become catatonic when I used it. Anyway, it started a vicious cycle. I would use, I'd feel guilty, I'd go through a period of repentance and prayer, and then I would repeat that addiction cycle again on a regular basis. I felt like a failure, and I felt like I was dying inside, and I really hated myself. Um, I really think I have an idea about what Paul was talking about in Romans 7, where he says, truly, deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God, but I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the law of sin, this unwelcome intruder in my humanity. What an agonizing situation I'm in. Who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? 
to be honest, I was struggling in my addiction prior to COVID. Um, however, during the pandemic, uh, things became worse. I was working in a critical service position and um, because I was required to isolate and work from home, um, it, just, it just really made my addiction worse. I didn't have a lot of a social life prior to my uh, addiction or prior to the pandemic and work really became my identity. So not seeing my colleagues at work and um, being forced to isolate really contributed to my drug get, use getting worse again. Uh, I spiraled out of control. I'd use drugs on weekends to deal with the stress of the week, but um, my use increased. It was more than once a month. Um, and then I started to miss days of work as it required a couple of days of work to re recover from my weekend use. Use of that particular drug in larger quantities also led to drug-induced paranoia. So I started to hear things when I was using, and that led to calls to police uh, on my neighbors. Yeah, I was that neighbor. And um, I began to feel like I was losing my mind. Uh, my paranoia also led to numerous calls to my family um, while I was high. And of course, that naturally alarmed them. Uh, and it began to take a toll on my body. I remember spending a night in an emergency because I was vomiting blood. And eventually I reached the point that I was so paranoid that I called one of my managers at work asking her to call the police because of the danger that I feared. So that's kind of when things kind of really came to a head for me. Um, I did finally decide to attend Teen Challenge after my doctor recommended it and after my family encouraged me to get help. Uh, Teen Challenge has allowed me to come to be clean. And this is uh, now over nine months that I've been clean, which is the longest period of time in several years. Um, but, uh, you know, I felt um, it's, been, it's been a challenge being at uh, Teen Challenge for the first few months. I, my emotions kind of thawed out. There was a period of time when my emotions were really frozen because of the drug when I was using. So I spent my first few months at Teen Challenge being angry at times and other times just, uh, just crying. Um, but it was good to kind of get those emotions starting to flow again. Uh, it taught me really to learn to walk in love and forgiveness. Uh, you know, I'm living in a community with a lot of different personalities. Um, I did a trench treatment before, I think I mentioned that, and during that time I learned a number of quote-unquote recovery strategies. Um, but I allowed myself to feel a sense of hopelessness, um, and even the night after I left, left the last treatment center I was at, um, I ended up going out that night and using. So I really needed more than just strategies. I felt like I, well, I know that I needed God, and Teen Challenge has uh, allowed me to refocus on God. His word is helping me really move from religion to the reality of God's presence again. Um, I've come to realize that I can't determine my sense of value based on what I believe other people think of me, but to truly honor God, I need to value what he says about me more than those other voices. Uh, in the world, they say valuation is determined by how rare something is and how much someone is willing to pay for it. I'm valuable to God because he paid for my life um, and forgiveness with the precious blood of Jesus. And um, I know I'm valuable because there's no one else like me in all of creation, um, nor will there ever be. Uh, most of all, I know that I'm loved by my Heavenly Father once again. Uh, there are times when I've experienced His love and His presence more each day um, as He's been healing some of these deep feelings of rejection in my heart. Um, as I experience God's love for me, I know that He'll continue to redeem my life as He continues to give me hope for a bright future. So I'm really thankful for uh, spending time at Teen Challenge and really getting uh, some time in that bubble um, that Dave was talking about. And I know um, that I've got uh, some great possibilities moving ahead. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, uh, LaVon, for the courage to share. How are we doing for time? I think uh, we're pretty much at that time. 
Awesome. Well, you know, we're excited to share that uh, because of faithful support like you, uh, Terry used to serve on our advisory council at a time when we were building a new, uh, looking to expand our beds in Alberta. And because of their faithful hard work, uh, we're excited to share that we have a brand new uh, facility here. Um, let's see if it clicks for me, but basically that's a rendering drawing of the new facility in respect to time. Um, anything short of a mirror? Oh, here we go. Uh, that's the old facility there. Uh, we'll go to the next slide. Uh, here's the new facility, $6 million facility built um, all by support of donors, no government funding. Uh, go to the next slide. And we just go through the slides there quick. And uh, the main area, the, the uh, study area, the gym, the cafeteria, the chapel, common area, chapel, and... So it's a beautiful facility. If you're ever interested in coming out, if you are looking to sponsor, come see us at the table in the back. We'd love to show you more information. And with that, thank you so much for allowing us to come and share, and God bless. Here, I'm just going to pray for, for you and for the ministry. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the work that you are doing in Teen Challenge, and I just pray that you would bless David and his team, that they would continue to be able to reach out to other churches as well, uh, have more and more partnerships to see your work and your kingdom come. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, community, would you stand with me to uh, receive the benediction? And then, yeah, spend, if, for those of you that are interested, have a conversation with these gentlemen at their table. Um, and then in about 10 minutes from now, uh, we'll also have our uh, all-volunteers, kids' ministry volunteers meeting here at this, in the sanctuary. Um, may you go with the love of the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, now and always. Amen. <laughs>